Welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And before I start, I always have to begin in giving praises to our king, our president. And no, I am not talking about Joe Biden. And give praises to our Elohim by saying hallelujah to our king, Yahuwah. All praises to Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha Hamashiach, who came and died for our sins so that we may have eternal life. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington, and we say Shabbat Shalom to all our listeners. We hope you enjoy our weekly podcast as we study Yah's Torah, his statutes, his commandments, and other principles in the Bible. So, do you have your Bibles ready? Your notebook, your computer, your tablet, whatever you need as we begin our study. So, Pastor, what do you have for us today? We're going to continue in the covenant, uh, the marital covenant that Elohim has with he and his children. However, on this segment today, we're going to start uh, talking about the marital mirror, the marital mirror. And it's quite a bit that we want to cover in this. So we'll go right into it. Eternal Father, as we go into your word, we ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit who inspired men to write this, that the same Holy Spirit may help us to understand it and maybe be the better for it. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. 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 We want to turn to Exodus. And here in Exodus, we want to look at the 38th chapter. And we want to look particularly at verse number eight. Verse number eight has a whole lot we want to unpack in there, so we want to go right into that uh, passage, Exodus chapter 38, and we are considering verse number eight, and it reads, and he made the labor of brass and the foot of, and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, now the, as we've entitled this particular section, we call it the marital mirror. When we think in terms of a mirror, it is with the idea of an apparatus which reflects its surroundings. A mirror is generally used to reflect how an individual appearance looks we use mirrors primarily to see how we appear before we go out to make a public appearance. We look into the mirror to see if how we appear is up to our standard. While it is true that the word mirror doesn't appear in the Holy Writ, yet it does speak of what is a looking glass. Even though our Bible speaks about a looking glass, no glass was used. Back then, in antiquity, they used brass, which had been beaten into flat sheets and polished until it was clear enough to discern one's image in it. This concept of looking of a looking glass comes from the Hebrew word mara. Mara which is spelled M-A-R-A-H, M-A-R-A-H, Mara, and it means an appearance. 
Okay, so when they had a mirror, it was out of polished brass, and it comes from the word mirab, which means an appearance. And it means, however, for the words looking glass is found in the Old Testament twice, and in each instance, the use is different. Now, here in Exodus 38, verse 8, the word barah is used. However, if we would turn to the book of Job, now, in the book of Job, we want to look at Job chapter 37. And here in, in the 37th chapter of Job, uh, we want to look at verse number 18. Job 37, 18. Now, here, Job's uh, friend Elihu is speaking with Job. And here in the 18th verse of the 37th chapter of Job, it says, How hast thou, has thou with him spread out the sky, which is strong, and as a molting looking glass? So Elihu is, is talking to Job, and he is saying to Job, uh, Has thou with him? In other words, are you, has that, ha, have you been with uh, Elohim who spread out the sky, which is strong and as a molten looking glass? So in other words, Elohim is uh, using a different word for uh, a looking glass. And the word that he uses is Rhea, spelled R-E-I, R-E-I. And it's used for a looking glass. So we had the word mara, which is looking glass, and we had the word ria, which is looking, which is a looking glass. Now, in the sanctuary courtyard was a brazen labor of which was made from the contributions of the women to construct of to construct the labor. So when they brought their contributions, they were gonna take all of the polished brass that they had and they were going to use it to make the labor. Now, in this instance, as we pointed out, the word mara is used. However, in the other instance, the word ria is used in the book of Job, referring to the sky. It was Elohim, one of Job's friends, who said to him, uh, have you been with El as you deal with the sky, and he paints the sky as having the appearance as a molten glass. Now, here Elihu compares the sky as a molten looking glass. Now, the word for molten come from, uh, molten comes from the Hebrew word yeshak, Y-A-T-S-A-Q, Y-A-T-S-A-Q, yeshak. Uh, yats chalk, and it means to cast, mold, or pour, or to be firm. Interestingly, one of the Hebraic words for look is mare, mare. That's spelled M A R E H. Now, if we compare mare with mara, the difference being is that. The vowel pointing in the last syllable of Marae is an E, whereas the last syllable of Marae, of Marae, is A. The former means 
to look, and the letter means the object of which one looks into. And we can see by their spelling and the meanings that the object, which is the mara, is named after the act of what is used for, which is looking, which is the moray. So when we look, we have the moray, and from what we are doing in looking, we have the apparatus, which is mara, which we look, which we look into. So back then, a mirror was named after the act of looking. So when we looked into, then what we have is a mara, but the moray is what we are doing. So Eli said the sky was as a molten looking glass. Now, the Hebraic word for glass in our translation of the Bible is galeon, galeon. It is spelled G-I-L-L-A-Y-O-N, G-A-L-L-A-Y-O-N. The word galeon that translators translate glass seems to appear in only one place in the Old Testament scriptures, and that is in Isaiah chapter uh, chapter 3. Let us turn to Isaiah chapter 3. And in Isaiah chapter, 20, uh, chapter 3, we want to look at verse number 23. Isaiah, okay, Isaiah speaks about glass, and this is the only text in the Bible, at least in the King James, that we actually find it speaks about glass, and we want to look at that. Now, here in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 23, it says the glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. So the word glasses here that is pointed out uh, when it speaks about certain types of jewelry worn by a woman. Moreover, even in the New Testament, there are at least two Greek words for glass, respectively, and the first word is esoptron, and that's spelled E-S-O-P-T-R-O-N, esoptron, and the other word in the New Testament for glass is haelos, haelos, H-U-A-L-O-S. However, as we examine the meanings of these words, it doesn't appear to me that both the Old and New Testament, that the words for glass are speaking literally about the material of glass itself, but rather an object or an apparatus used to see oneself. It becomes apparent that when the biblical translator translated something made of brass to look into to see one's appearance, they weren't translating to us the type of material an object of reflection was made out of, but rather they were depicting to us that the ancient time, in ancient times, they had a way of looking at themselves back then as we have a way of looking at ourselves today. There was some, they use a polished metal, and we use 
glass. So the translators in their translation weren't taking the actual uh, material that they were talking about. They were looking in their culture and they were saying that when they dealt with their reflections in their culture, they used polished brass. And so when the translators look in our culture, what did they see? They saw in our culture that we use glass for mirrors. So since the Bible translators were merely trying to get us to see that those who lived in antiquity had a way of seeing themselves just as we today have a way of seeing ourselves in modern times. Consequently, our focus is going to be upon mirroring upon two situations whereby we can see ourselves as to how we look in the sight of Yahuwah and what it would take to both improve and to do away with our sinful appearance and to obtain a righteous one. The two aspects of mirroring we'll concern ourselves with is that of sacrifice and spirituality. We will refer to them as the mirror of sacrifice and the mirror of spirituality. Let us start with the mirror of sacrifice. Now, when we go back to our text in Exodus 38, considering verse number 38, uh, we're going to deal with the mirror of sacrifice. Now, uh, here it reads again in the 8th verse of the 38th chapter of Exodus. It says, And he made the labor of brass and the foot of it brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling themselves, though of the, uh, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So we want to try to unpack this verse. It has, it has so much in it, so many different layers. Okay, so what we're going to look at as we deal with the mirror of sacrifice, in this particular, in this particular passage of Scripture, we want to both concern ourselves with the symbolic language it contains and their meanings. In this passage, we are dealing with the brazen labor and the foot which was made out of brass of the women used to look at, used for the women who use them to look at themselves. And in this passage, we want to depict some symbols we find therein. We will refer to these symbols as the mirror symbols. So we want to look at the mirror symbols. What are they? We have the following symbols. We have the labor. That's one symbol. We have the brass. We have the foot of brass, the women, the women's gift, the women's assembling, and then we have the door of the tabernacle. Now, all seven of these symbols is what we find in this passage. Now, let us look at the second factor of these symbols as the mirror, as the mirror's significance. So when we look at the mirror, mirror significance, we're talking about the significance of the symbols that 
we have just articulated. Now that we have singled out in this scripture, the symbols let us see what are their significance. We will list each of our symbols and supply their meanings. We have the following. The label will represent the womb and the tomb. Okay, that's what the labor is going to represent. The brass is going to represent the suffering and the pain. The foot of the, the, the foot of brass that was connected with the labor will be dealing with the feet of suffering or the feet of the pain of Yeshua on the cross. The women will represent the assemblies or the churches. The women's gift will represent the assemblies laws or the church's commandments. The women assembling will represent the assembling of the women at the cross and it will also represent the church's gathering on Passover. Now, and the last one we'll be dealing with in this passage is the door of the tabernacle would represent the person of Yeshua or the body of Yeshua. Now that we have both looked at and defined the symbols, let us now go into their application to marriage. First and foremost, what we want to understand about a polished brass reflection or the mirror reflection is that we see ourselves as we are, which is sinful in need of grace. So our first application will we'll start with the labor. So in Exodus 38, 8, we want to look at what we have entitled the marital link to the labor, the marital link to the, to the labor. So when we talk about the marital link to the labor, we want to see how marriage relates to the labor. In our symbolic significance, we pointed out that the labor is representative of both the womb and the tomb, thus referring to both birth and death. Now, I want you to turn with me in the book of Jeremiah. Let's turn to the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, we want to look at chapter 20. And in the 20th chapter of Jeremiah, we want to look at verses 17 and 18. Okay, Jeremiah. We're talking about the womb and the tomb. Okay. In the book of Jeremiah, the 20th chapter, we look at verses 17 and 18, which reads thusly, because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave and her womb to be always great with me. Verse 18 says, Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame. So here, Jeremiah is basically saying, uh, I came into a world out of my mother's womb, but I wish in so many words, Jeremiah said, that it was my tomb of my death because to come into the sinful world, he was going to have some hardships. 
So in our symbolic uh, significance, uh, it is pointing out to us that the womb is a place of birth, but Jeremiah said, uh, would, that it was also the place of my tomb or my death. And so when we look at that, uh, we see that the womb and the tomb is going to be represented by the labor. Moreover, Job gives us a similar experience when it says, it, uh, when it comes to his plight. Okay, now let us turn to the book of Job. And in, 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 in Job, we want to look at uh, Job chapter 3 and verse 11. Here's what Job says. Job says in chapter 3 of Job and verse 11, here Job says, why, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? So Job is saying, with all of the troubles and the hardships that he's going on, why didn't he give up the ghost in the womb? Okay. And then when we turn in Job, uh, let's turn to Job chapter 10. Job chapter 10. And here in Job chapter 10, we look at verses uh, 18 and 19. And here it says, Wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? Oh, that I had given up the ghost, and no eye had seen me, I should have been as though I had not been. I should have been carried from the womb to the grave. So Job is saying all of this stuff that I'm, uh, I'm afflicted with, when I look at the burden and the hardships of life, I would that the womb was the tomb, and I never had come into this world. So when Yeshua came into this world, he, like Job and Jeremiah, would experience the womb and the tomb experience from, time, from the time he was brought forth to the time he would be placed in his tomb. When Yeshua was baptized of John in the Jordan River, the Jordan was an antitypical fulfillment of the typical labor, the priests washed themselves. Okay, now we want to turn into the New Testament to, uh, to the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, we want to turn to Matthew, the first chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And here in Matthew chapter 1, let me see. No, we want to, uh, not Matthew chapter 1, but I believe it's Matthew chapter 3. And here in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 3 is what we want. And here in Matthew chapter 3, we want to look at the 13th verse, Matthew 3.13. Notice what it says. It said, Then cometh Yeshua from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. So what we want, what we're looking at is, when you look at the sanctuary and it had a laver, the laver contained water, which was equivalent an antitype of the Jordan River where he was baptized. The priests had to clean themselves when, before they went into the sanctuary. And Yeshua is showing us the way to the heavenly sanctuary is that we also have to be clean. And so when he was baptized of John in the Jordan, it was equivalent to the priests washing themselves and bathing themselves in the labor. Moreover, 
when he expired on the cross, he was placed in a new tomb. Okay, now we want to turn to the uh, Gospel of John. And here in the Gospel of John, we want to look at the 19th chapter of John. So we saw in, in Matthew 3, verse 13, how the labor served as a place of baptism. Now we want to see how it serves as a tomb. Okay, now here in John, 19th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 41 and 40 uh, and 42. It said, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they, Yeshua, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So what we are experiencing here is that when Yeshua died, he went back to the labor, which is represented by the grave in which they put him in. Furthermore, what we also want to notice is that Yeshua was baptized by John, the immerser, on this earth which means that heaven doesn't have a label, or if it does, it wasn't used. By him being immersed in the Jordan on this earth meant that by his baptism here, he would unite earth to heaven. He would reconcile Elohim and man. He would uh, marry the family of the earth to the family of Yahuwah. Just like he says in Matthew 16, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeshua's water baptism uh, was what we would refer to as the bio baptism. Now the Greek word bio means life. So when we have the bio baptism, that is the baptism by water. So let us turn to John in the same book of John, we want to turn to the uh, John, the Gospel of John, and in the Gospel of John, we want to look at the third chapter, and we want to look at verse number five. Now, notice what it says here. And Yeshua answered, Verily I say unto you, unto thee, except a man be born of the water. Okay, now here, Yeshua was talking about talking to Nicodemus by night. And he was telling Nicodemus he needed to be born of the water. Again, when we're born in the water, we have to go back to the labor. So the bio-baptism is what we refer to as the baptism of life. In other words, while we are living, we experience the water baptism. That's when we go down and be inducted like Yeshua was with John the Baptist. While we are living, we receive this baptism by the hands of Yah's servants, as did Yeshua at the hands of his servant, John the Immerser. This type of baptism is equated with being born of the water in John 3, 5. Moreover, this is compared to a woman who gives birth to a child from the water of her womb. And in addition to the labor acting as the womb to give new birth from the old life of sin to the new life of righteousness, he also experienced the baptism of death of 
which we refer to as a Thanatos baptism. Now, the word Thanatos is the Greek word for death. So when we have a Thanatos baptism, we have the baptism, which is what we refer to as the baptism of death. While we are dead, we receive this baptism at the hands of Yah's servants as did Yeshua at the hands of Joseph of Amathea and Nicodemus. Now let us turn back to John, the 19th chapter. And here in John, the 19th chapter, we start with verse 38, John 19, 38. In other words, what we are pointing out here basically is that the tomb is used for both the bio baptism, which is water, but it's also used for the Thanos, Thanatos baptism. Now, Thanatos is spelled T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S. That's the Greek word for death. So when we look at the Thanos baptism, uh, it is the baptism of the earth. Now, the Bible says here in John, the 19th chapter, and reading uh, verse 38 and following, it says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Yeshua, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he may take away the body of Yeshua. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Yeshua. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Yeshua by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Yeshua and wound it in linen cloth, in linen clothes, with the spices, and the manner as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden in the garden, a new sepulchre wherein we never wherein was never man laid. There laid they Yeshua, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. So we can see that when he was crucified in the Thanatos baptism, he was placed in the earth. In this, we see the labor acting as the tomb to preserve the body in death as it awaits the resurrection. Now that we have observed the twofold function of the labor, serving as the womb, bringing forth the life of the the life uh, and the the life in the tomb, preserving also in the tomb's death his body. Let us now concentrate on what the labor is made of. Now, what we need to do uh, as we look at what the labor was made of, uh, we're going to cover that. We're going to cover. We're going to go into that next week, uh, so we can absorb what we have here now. And what we have basically looked at is that the labor serves as both the tomb and the womb, or the womb and the tomb. So we'll cut it off here, and next week we'll be dealing with what the brass represent. So if there's any questions or observation on this, let us uh, stop at this juxtaposition.
So can you elaborate a little bit more on the uh, baptism of death? Yeah, the baptism of his death. Now, when a person is baptized in the water, that water baptism points to a person's death. Okay, so if you go down into the water and come up, then you can also, if you're following Yeshua and all that he's asked you to do, that means that when you go into the grave of the earth, just like you came out of the water of the earth, you're going to come out of the grave of the earth. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Now, so what we are looking at, looking at is the bio baptism is when you are living, you go down into the water, but the Thanatos baptism is that when you die, you go down into the earth, just like we came out of the earth. Adam came out of the earth. So when we die, we go back to the earth. And so when we talked about the Thanatos baptism, we are talking about when you die, you go back into the grave. Now, it's interesting that when Yeshua spent 40 days into the wilderness, uh, after he had been baptized, then we also find that when he was crucified and put in the grave, he spent 40 days with his disciples, which shows an equation here mm -hmm. that he spent 40 days with the living baptism, and he, when he was resurrected out of grace, he spent 40 days with his disciples. So what we're looking at is, is that when we look at water baptism, it leads, when we look at the bio baptism, it leads to the Thanatos baptism. And when we look at the Thanatos baptism, we can look back at our bio baptism. So the water baptism points to the earthly baptism and the earthly baptism points back to the water baptism. So what we are seeing here is that Elohim is telling while we live, we are baptized, the living baptism, but when we die, we are preserved in the earthly uh, grave, which is the earthly baptism, and we look forward to the resurrection to eternal life. So now uh, the death of baptism, uh, when we, uh, those be resurrected during the, what, the second coming, correct? Yes, right. And so they, now mm -hmm. is everyone, even the ones that's not going to go into the kingdom, uh, are they going to be resurrected too? No, that, they would come forth in the, Thanat the second Thanatos baptism. They, mm -hmm. they won't be in this one. This one is, is, is the baptism that Yeshua had. Mm -hmm. uh, and when he died and resurrected, when he came forth out of the grave. Now, if we follow him explicitly, then we'll align ourselves with the righteous to come forth as the first fruits, okay? Mm -hmm. But those that did not follow him in the correct way of living and have spurned his counsel and would not adhere to what he wanted, they will not come up in, in this particular baptism, not, not the first Thanatos baptism. They won't come out of the earth. They'll have to wait until a thousand years are over, and then they would come up in, this, in the second Thanatos uh, baptism. Well, with that, let us go into our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Well, in today's segment, I want to talk about humility. So today we want to talk about, let's talk about humility. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me, we want to look at two passages. The first passage we want to look at is Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, verse 4. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me with Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, verse 4. And it reads, 
by humility and fear of Yahuwah, our riches and honor in life. Okay, we want to look at the second chat, the second verse. And for the second verse, we are going to go to first Peter chapter five, verse five. Again, that's first Peter chapter five, verse five. And it reads, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. For Elohim resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So, I want to ask, what does it mean to have humility or to be humble? Now, yes. mm-hmm. yeah, when we talk about humility, what we are basically looking at is uh, what is also referred to as meekness. And unfortunately, when we deal with meekness and humility, some people have taken that as a weakness, but actually True. to have humility and meekness is a strength. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when we deal with our humility, what we are dealing with is a person that Sub- subjugates themselves to a higher authority. I remember one on one one occasion, uh, Yeshua, he was pointing out that when you go to a feast, he said, "Don't go and try to take the front seat, the best seats in the house." Mm-hmm. He said, "But rather, when you go into an assembly of a feast, take the back seat." He said, one of the reasons for this is if you go and take the front seat and another guest may come in who they consider more honorable than you, and they'll tell you to come down and for the person who is more honorable to come up and take your seat, and that's embarrassing to come down. He Mm -hmm. said, but when you go in, just take the back seat. And then while you sit back there, if the hosts say, come up and take the best seat, then it's better to be lifted up than to be lift yourself up and have to come down. Yeah. And and so what you Yeshua was teaching a lesson in humility. He was saying that people who uh, exalt themselves they will be abased, but people who uh, have humility or abase themselves, he said they will be lifted up. And so I find this would be a principle in life that a humble person does not try to make oneself appear more than what one is, and they are take the low way rather than the highway. Mm-hmm. And the principle that Yeshua is articulating is, is that when we come to Elohim, it should be the same thing, that we should subject ourselves to him. No matter what our will and what our way is, we're going to give up all of what we are for him. And then when we do that, he lifts us up. Now, isn't it interesting, the Bible says that Moses was one of the meekest men upon the face of the earth. Matter of fact, he Uh talked to Elohim face-to-face as no other prophet did. True. And that is because of the fact he was very humble. And Mm. when he was humble, Elohim lifted him up. And so when we can practice humility, then what it is saying is that even Yeshua, his son, when he came to this world, the Bible says he humbled himself even unto death. In other words, 
that even if death was going to come, he was going to put Yeshua first and him second. Mm. And even wow. to the death of the cross. So it lets us know that a humble person would let Elohim do for him what he cannot do for himself. A lot of us, we push ourselves out to be somebody. Elohim yeah. say, you don't have to do that. You seek me first, I will lift you up. Don't try to lift yourself up. Yeah. And if you do that, that's a practice of humility. And you know, I, I think too, when you have a humble spirit and you practice humility, it's less chances of you being embarrassed a lot of times. Because mm -hmm. I think when you try to uplift yourself and be prideful, a lot of times you find yourself being kicked off your high horse and you have to end up being humble. Because just like mm -hmm. you said, rather than take the front seat, the main seat, take the back seat. Let mm -hmm. Yahuwah elevate you as opposed to you trying to elevate yourself and then you sit in the seat that was maybe meant for someone else and they come and tell you, this is your wrong seat. Uh, this is for someone else. And we, then you have to come about with a humble spirit and move, you know, because you're kicking, getting kicked off your high horse. When if mm -hmm. we would approach life with a humility about us, uh, it, it would save a lot less embarrassment. This is true. This is what the Bible teaches. It said, Prague goes before downfall. Yeah. In other words, you 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 can see the pride in your in yourself, and all you have to do is back off. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people that got pride, they won't back off. Yeah. And then next thing, they find themselves going up, but not too long, they're coming down because Bible says, before you fall, you got to have pride. Mm -hmm. Pride goes before downfall. So Elohim is saying. When you see yourself living, lifting up the pride, that's an indication you better back off because you're getting ready to fall. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people got so much pride that they won't back off. And next thing you know, they got to fall. And we look at that person, oh, how did that person fall? Because mm -hmm. they had pride. Yeah. And this is one of, the, one, of, one, of, one of the things about Satan. When you deal with Satan, let, let, us, let, us, let us turn in, 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 into a text. Mm -hmm. uh, Isaiah, chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Okay. Now, let, let us notice about Lucifer. Mm -hmm. Now, here's what it said in verse 12. It said, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Mm -hmm. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also be upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, notice how he is exhorting himself. Uh -huh. And here's what the Bible says. With all that pride in his heart, here's what the Bible says in verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Mm. He had all of that pride, and pride brought him down to hell. Mm. Wow, that, <laughs> that is something. Now, remember you, I think you spoke on this in one of our previous podcasts about how he was lifting himself up and with the I, 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 mm -hmm. you know, it, it just, it's hard to fathom that Satan, his air attitude is so arrogant that he's basically saying, I'm going to lift myself up mm -hmm. bigger than Yah. And, and I'm like, how is that possible? He created you. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to be able to destroy your creator mm -hmm. to, to elevate yourself? Mm -hmm. 
And to be honest, I think even if he was to elevate himself, it would be nothing but chaos because it would be someone coming for his head. Because if 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 the other angels saw, okay, Yah was able to be taken out, Satan replaced them, then they're going to say to themselves, well, we can do the same thing and take you out. He would always have to be looking over his shoulder too. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. right. That's, that's what people don't understand is that if it's corrupt in one way, it's going to be corrupted another way. Yeah. If you, do, if you do it to me, somebody's going to do it to you. Yeah. You see? Yeah. And, and that's, I, that's another interesting text too, uh, 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 about the covering chirp, uh, Satan who fell. Mm-hmm. And that's found in the book of uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. Notice what it says in Ezekiel 28 and verse 17. It said, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And, and and so he was lifted up because he was a beautiful uh, a seraphim or angel. Mm-hmm. He was lifted up because he was very intelligent. Mm. But notice what the same 17th verse of the 28th chapter says. He said, I will cast thee to the ground. Mm-hmm. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. In other words, you, you, you lifted up because of how you look and how bright you are. He said, but I'm going to lay you on the ground. I'm going to lay you even to the ground. I'm going to lay you before kings. In other mm-hmm. words, he's saying, again, you lifted up with pride, you're going to fall. Yeah. And that, that's the basis of why people are falling because they got lifted up with so much pride. This is why a lot of people, they want, they want uh, fame so fast that they are willing to pay any price for it. Yes. They are sacrificed yes. their health. They are sacrificed uh, friends and family to do something that they know is wrong, but it's going to bring them fame. And when they get to fame, all of a sudden what happens? Boom. They began to fall because they were building upon a false premise. Yeah. And you, and you know, it's something how, and it's so easy for us to be prideful. I mean, you know, sometimes we may do something out of humility and then we start receiving all this praise and rather than take the Mm -hmm. praise, uh, in a humility stance, we take praise and we start feeling lifted up. Mm-hmm. And so next thing you know, we have all this pride, you know, like I'm the best rather than just saying, okay, yeah, I'm good at what I do, but you know, am I better than no anybody else? No. And all. But I, I think a lot of times we just don't have that humble spirit, you know, as, as we approach in life. And I, and is it, and is it something that, you know, humility, we should exercise just about in everything we do. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, like I think you pointed out earlier uh, that humility is, is, a, is a characteristic, it's a behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, I think you were saying it was a spirit. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that spirit of humility. And once you got that spirit of humility, then what are you saying? Well, you have to look at humility. Not, it's not just a word in the dictionary, but humility is a personality. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. If it's a personality, where does it come from? It came from Yeshua. Mm. Yeshua says that he came to do his father's will. And that was the main reason why he came to earth. He said, not my will, but my father's will be done. Mm-hmm. So when we practice humility, we are practicing the life of Yeshua. And so when we start practicing that life, that life comes into us. And so when, when Yeshua, what we noticed 
that when he got ready to leave his disciples on earth, he showed them humility. That was one of the last great acts that he showed them. And how mm -hmm. did he do that? Well, let's turn to John. I believe in, in John, the 13th chapter, the gospel of John. And he demonstrated to them uh, what, what humility would, 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 would be uh, that, he, that his uh, disciples should exercise. Now, what we notice here in this particular verse, it's good to read the, uh, uh, the, the verses from 1 to 17 on this. Mm -hmm. He says here in the 13th chapter of John, he says here, and uh, we start with verse number 7. He said, and Yeshua said unto, uh, unto him, what I do, thou knoweth not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Okay. Mm -hmm. In other words, he was getting ready to wash Peter's feet, and Peter didn't want it. And, and verse 8 says, and Peter said unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet, Yeshua. Mm. And Yeshua answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon said unto him, Yehoah, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Yeshua said unto him, he that is washed needed not save to wash, save his feet, but he is clean every whiff, and ye are not clean, but not all. Mm -hmm. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, ye are not all clean. So he, at, so after that, he washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again. He said unto them, know ye what I have done to you. Ye call me Master and Yehoah, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Mm -hmm. For I have given you an example, ye should do as I have done. In other words, he was saying to his, to his, his disciples is that a humble person stoops low, mm -hmm. And he tries to lift up this fellow man. Okay. Mm -hmm. He says, he says that when you're humble, you can wash your brother's feet. But Peter said, no, you're not going to wash me. But when he found out he could not be a part of the Savior, he said, wash my head and my feet. But Yeshua was trying to tell him, once your feet are washed, you're okay. Because uh, what it was that that feet washing was a miniature baptism. Because usually when a person took a bath and then they went outside and they walked on the road, the only thing that got dirty was their feet. Uh -huh. So they would wash their feet. And so once their feet got clean, the rest of the body was already clean. And so he was telling him, if you are humble enough, you know, you can get down and wash your brother's feet. But now here's what he says also in verse 16. He said, verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Okay. Because some people uh, think that if I'm over somebody, then uh -huh. I'm greater than you. But he's showing that humility says that a servant is not greater than his Lord, and neither is he sent greater than he that sent him. Okay, so when a servant is not greater than the Lord, and when somebody sent you, you are not greater than the person that sent you. He said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So in other words, he's pointing out that as a servant... And as a master, and indeed, Yeshua was our master, but he took on the form of a servant. And the Bible says he took on the form of a servant, and he was humble. He experienced humility even unto his death. Wow. 
So it's letting us know that humility is a part of Yeshua. Mm -hmm. And it should be a part of us. See, Satan, when he was in heaven talking about ah, 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 he wanted the power of Elohim, but he didn't want his character. Yeah. So to get Elohim's power without his character is a dangerous thing because we use his power to rule it over other people. We don't use his power to serve other people. Yeah. So if he really wanted to be like the Most High, he would have not only wanted his power, but he would have wanted his character. And if he had his character, he would have been humble and he would have stayed in the place in which Elohim had put him. Yeah. But, you know, too, what's really interesting is that Yahushua could have said, I'm not coming to this drastic planet. And all he could have said, denied it. I'm like, I'm in glory. What need do I have to go down there for those people? But he humbled himself to come here and deal with all the stresses and toils that we went through. And then as he was saying how in John, how he talks about washing the disciples' feet, what's more humbling than to wash someone's feet? Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne in prayer as we get ready to close up? Our loving Father, again, we thank you that we can submit ourselves to you. Teach us humility. And as they went in the temple one day, oh, Heavenly Father, and the Pharisee went and prayed. He said, I thank you that I'm not like this publican. And the publican went and prayed. He said, be merciful to me, Father. And Yeshua said, which one went down from the temple? Blessed. And he said, the one who was a publican, and because he had the humility is not to look at another person, but he looked at Yeshua and found out that he was not coming up to what Yeshua was about. And he said, be merciful to me. And we ask that you be merciful to us as we seek to be humble and to be creatures, O Heavenly Father, not too proud, but be able to submit to your will, regardless of whether it's death or our life was threatened, that we may walk in humility according to your word. And when you have worked in us the things that is needed for humility, that we may be able to display your life and character in a way that men may see that we have been with thee. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we are Science of the Covenant. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. May Yahuwah bless you and keep you until the next week. Shalom. Shalom. Oh.